Well, what the video about Serve Day didn't show you is that uh, several groups came to my house to serve, and that was awesome. I love our church. Some of you are like, is he serious? Because I'm leaving. I'm not serious, but hey, I've, I have a cut over my left eye. You guys notice? And I'm sharing this with you, not as a point of pride, uh, more of a way of to eliminate a distraction, okay? So it's the, the elephant in the room is the cut over my eye, but you should see the other guy, um, Anyway, so some of you are going to be, especially down front, you're going to be like, does he know he has a Band-Aid over his eye? How embarrassing. Should I tell him? Should I give him a signal? You'll be thinking that the whole sermon. So I just want to eliminate that. I, was, I thought about showing uh, Mickey and Rocky. Remember when Mickey cuts Rocky's eye and he goes back in and the music's playing and all that? But that would be a good idea. Ephesians chapter 4. Here's what I want to do today. We're already in chapter 4. We're not, the design of this series is not to walk through this Uh, verse by verse, line by line. It would take us three years to get through Ephesians. It is so rich. But we are looking at each chapter. We're looking at our identity, who Christ says we are. And this is great. Daniel, in the call to worship, had us as a congregation read Ephesians 3, the prayer that we preached on last week. And this week, we're transitioning to chapter 4. I will read it from the screen. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read Ephesians 4. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to preach it. Okay, how about that? And the 930 said, preach it. They were like, with me. Come on. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to preach it. Yeah, that's good. All right, here we go. Ephesians 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He's tapping into some Jewish teaching. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in every way, grow up in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ. For whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The first word Paul uses here is the word therefore. It's a hinge word. It's hinging or transitioning from chapters 1, 2, and 3 to chapters 4, 5, and 6. He uses it often. If you've studied the Pauline epistles or simply put the letters that Paul wrote the New Testament churches, he does use this often. In Romans 12, he says, In light of all these things we've been teaching you, therefore, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. In Galatians 5, he says, In light of all that we've been teaching you, uh, therefore, uh, stand firm in the freedom that you have in Christ. In Colossians 3, he says, In light of all that I've been teaching you, therefore, set your affections on things above, not on this earth, but on things above. Therefore is this transition phrase, a hinge phrase. And we've, I've taught you this, that chapters 1, 2, and 3 are all about belonging. It's who you are. It's discovering your identity, what God says about you. Now, you can take it or leave it. You can believe it and walk in it, but it's what God says 
it's true of you and I if we're in Christ. And now we're getting to the part, okay, I'm going to preach a little bit today and kind of get in your business. But it, now we get to the part where he starts telling us what to do. He starts giving us some commandments. In light of who you are, this is how you ought to live. And he says, therefore, walk. That's the first word, therefore, walk. Now, I like that because to walk, for everyone who's healthy, if you, you don't have a disability, you're able you're able to walk. You're able to put one foot foot in front of the other. Now, the Bible does, a, a few times, refers to your spiritual journey as a race. 1 Corinthians 9, using some of the Greco-Roman uh, athletic language of the culture, he says you're to run the race or run the race for the prize to win that in 1 Corinthians 9, 23 and 24. There are places, a few places like that in Scripture, but for the most part, it's described as a walk. And I love that because I can manage a walk. But he says after that, and by the way, quickly, he doesn't say it's a sprint or race or it's a, it's a, it's a flight or we, we're charging ahead. It's a walk. It's deliberate. It's one step in front of the other, one after the other. Whatever your pace may be, it's a walk. But he says walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Now that becomes less manageable, doesn't it? Like what does that mean to walk in a manner worthy of your calling? Because who's worthy? We're going to conclude our service as we did the 930 with calling everybody, uh, every follower of Jesus uh, to a station, to the elements of the, the body of Christ, the bread and the, the juice representing the blood of Christ. And Scripture says, you don't do this unless you're worthy, but who among us is worthy? And here's what the gospel is. The gospel is Christ has made you worthy. So walk in that. He's done something great for you. So live in this way. As I wrestle with it this week, a couple of thoughts I want to share with you about what it means, uh, empowering statements about what it means to walk in a manner worthy of Christ. Let me say this, a confession of faith backed up with a consistent way of life generates enormous respect. One more time, a confession of faith backed up with a consistent way of life generates enormous respect. Don't you want to be respected? Don't you want the respect of your spouse or roommate, your friends, your coworkers, your kids? Don't you want to live in a way that you garner respect? Everybody's got that need. One writer on marriage says that women desire love. That's their greatest need. And for men, it's respect. So men, for sure, listen up. But for all of us, we want to be respected. And when we, when we see things in the news, whether it's rapper R. Kelly or New England Pates, Patriots owner Robert Kraft or what happens with the actor in Chicago and whatever's going to be revealed today and the next day and the next day. It's just one thing after another. Every time you put your eyes on a screen, you're seeing a scandal and your heart can break for people. If you're not glorying in it, you can look and say, man, because everybody's built to want to be respected. And that's what it means to walk in a manner worthy of your calling is that the confession of your faith would be consistently backed up consistently backed up with your way of life. And if you and I, we live that way, not perfection, but if we live that way, we will generate enormous respect. Guys, it's not impossible. It's, it's really not. It, it's not impossible. And don't let the whole mindset of, well, nobody's perfect. Don't let that trip you up. Christ wants you and I to live in a certain way. You want that, don't you? Like, isn't there a, a a, a lifestyle you expect me to lead as if I'm a pastor and I'm up here pointing my finger and preach, you expect me to live in a certain way. And one of the things I want to shatter from Ephesians 4 is we oftentimes think that the pastor is the one who has the calling. And did you read these verses with me? That's not true. Every member is a ministry and everyone is gifted and everyone has a call 
in their life. And so before Paul gets into the gifts that we're talking about today, remember Daniel told you today we're looking at I'm gifted. But before we look at that, look at what the emphasis Paul puts on character. Walk, therefore, because of who you are, therefore walk in a manner worthy of Christ. And he lists character qualities, humility, gentleness, patience. He tells us to be uh, forbearing with one another in love. Anybody need that? Let me ask it another way. You got, any, you got anybody difficult in your life to love? You could be the difficult person in somebody else's life to love. But here's what I want to tell you. There's no shortcuts to spiritual growth. Now, there's many different paths to spiritual growth, but there, there, there's, there are no shortcuts. And God uses, I want to tell you how, some things are mysterious, I don't know. Like we preached on predestination week one. That's, that's, that's easy to stump the band on that one. And our understanding and intelligence and all that varies on some teachings. But this is not difficult to understand. Listen, God has gifted us and he wants us to walk in a certain way. And the character, this, the, the gentleness and the humility and the patience, he wants to see these things in our lives. And he will use, no mystery here, he will use difficult people in your life to teach you to for, forbear in love. All of us at all times just wish we could say, okay, God, I don't want any difficult people. But think about his story in his word. Moses had Pharaoh. David had Saul. Um, Elijah had Jezebel. John the Baptist had Herod. That didn't end well. Jesus had Judah. Uh, on and on and on. Every character, it seems, in Scripture had a difficult person in their lives. God sends people our way to develop our character. But the call is that we would forbear, that we would have patience. And we don't like patience. How many of you, let's do a show of hands. How many of you just generally you're impatient? Just raise your hand. Or if you're with a, an impatient person who won't admit it, you raise their hand. Just go ahead and do that. I'll give you permission to raise their hand. There you go. If you're just generally impatient, listen, I am. I am. And look, if, if we will pace the floor if the microwave takes longer than a minute. We'll zip into the other lane if the lane we're in is slow. We'll stare at our watch if the preacher goes a little bit too long. We're an impatient, which is impossible. But it, 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 we, it, we're just an impatient people. But can I tell you, you won't grow together. We won't grow together unless we're patient with one another. Because we're fellow travelers and fellow stumblers. James 3, we all stumble in many ways. Do you know that that's true? We never preach anything different from up here. Let me tell you, I stumble, you stumble. We all stumble in many, many ways. And so we'll need to be patient with one another. So Paul talks about these character qualities because here's the thing. Don't be all hoity-toity about your gift without developing your character. And listen, it's not just in the world of rap and business, and entertainment, and music, and sports, and all this. That, it's not just in that arena. It's in the church. Do you know church after church elevates gifting above character? And there are guys in my position, man, they, if they do it well, people just look past how they're living. And they're not answerable, and they're not accountable. And Paul is saying, man, walk in a manner worthy of Christ and how you live matters and let's care about each other's character. There's a few people in my life, I, it's painful to do this, but I tell them, keep, keep a watch out for me. And if you sense that I'm too low or I'm too high or if I'm cutting corners in any way, look, I want to have a confession of faith that's backed up with a consistency of a way of life that would generate respect. That's what God has called me to, but not just me, you as well. So character comes first, and then he talks about the giftedness. So you see, we're united, Ephesians 4 tells us, with, with one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Last week we baptized, Jeremy, Jeremy Hurley walked out with me, and we baptized uh, his son. And how cool was that? And I was just thinking to watching a father baptize a son that they're now brothers. They're brothers in Christ. 
That's the call. Father and Son are brothers because of Christ. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. I've juxtaposed this before. I just love this. It it causes me to worship. But Paul, who said in Ephesians that there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, was followed by John exiled on an island called Patmos in Revelation that said one day every tribe, tongue, and nation will fall at the throne in worship. How beautiful is that? One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. So what unites us? It's God. It's God the Father of all. It's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. But then he gets into how we're different. And do you know how we're different? In so many ways. But here we learn in Ephesians 4, we're different by our gifting. Different by our gifting. You have a gift. I want to give you a definition of a spiritual gift, okay? Because there's some misunderstanding on this. A spiritual gift is this. It's a supernatural ability God gives every believer in Christ. Uh, give me credit for that. That's, you won't find a more simple definition of that. Spiritual gift is a supernatural ability that God gives every believer in Christ. So if you're in Christ, you have a spiritual gift. Now look, I got a good friend. He loves to play golf. He's good at golf. He's so good at golf, I won't play golf with him. But I told him this week, golf is not your spiritual gift. That's a natural ability. He's going to use it for, to raise money for Red Door, one of our ministry partners here uh, at the end of next month in March. But that's a, that's a natural ability. Man, you do your thing. If you can chase a little white ball around on an overpriced golf course with green grass, you go do that. But that's not a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift, as weird as it sounds, and I don't have all the answers here. I don't know it all. But it's a supernatural ability that God gives to every believer in Christ. When I was in college, freshman year, God was doing a work in me. And I went to a conference in Dallas um, with Campus Crusade for Christ called Crew Now. And at this conference in Dallas... God was wrecking me in a lot of ways, and I was just, He was transforming my life. And things I went into college believing and hoping and asking for were just melting away, and things were changing in my life. And that final night of this conference at the Lowe's Anatole in Dallas, Texas, I walked into this ballroom for the final night, and I'm telling you, forever my life was changed. And in that night, that moment, I was, it, it was a couple hours long, more than. I was choked back. I couldn't even sing the words to the songs. And I was crying so much, I was embarrassed. I had my hands over my face. I didn't want people to see how much I was crying. And in that moment, I knew God was saying, I've called you to this. I've called you to this. And I was open. I was ready. A day later, I was back on my college campus in an accounting class. And the professor said to us, hey, you have to read 170 pages in this accounting textbook. And I almost cried again. And that's when my life changed. I went to my advisor, I changed my major, and I said to God, I am now looking for opportunities to use what I think you have given me. And it changed my life. And I'm hesitant to tell you my story because I don't want it to be about me, but I'm hesitant to tell you my story because I don't want you to think that every calling is dramatic. In fact, to be honest with you, most of the work God does in my life is slow, not sudden. It's not dramatic. There are little to no emotions involved, and I'm wondering if I'm hearing what he's really saying. But for most of us, look, the calling in your life is not dramatic. And again, it's not reserved for pastors. It's easy for us to think in the American church, it's easy for us to think that, oh, a calling is for a pastor, but the rest of us just get jobs. And there's something less about that. So... A spiritual gift is what? A supernatural ability that God gives to every believer in Christ. I want to give you three action steps this morning to help you on this journey for everyone who's inclined. And I hope you're inclined. 
First one is this. I'll give them to you all up front, okay, because you note-takers love this. Three action steps. Find it, grow it, use it. In Ephesians 4-7, find it, grow it, use it. Ephesians 4-7, we looked at this a minute ago, but grace was given to each of us. No one's left out of this. According to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, when someone gives you a gift, it's called grace. And when you receive a gift, it's not a haughty thing, is it? It's a humble thing because somebody gave it to you. And that's the gift or gifts that you have. Let me be clear. You could have more than one gift. Likely, many of you do have more than one gift. But I want to encourage you. Christ has given you something. I want to encourage you to find it. I'm going to do my best to quote now a lot of the gifts that the New Testament talks about that he gives the body. These are found in four specific places. Uh, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. I'll say it again. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. He gives gifts like uh, teaching and exhorting and encouraging and admonishing and serving and mercy and faith and administration and prophecy and tongues and interpretation of tongues and miracles and healing, uh, hospitality and helps. These are many of the gifts. I've probably quoted 15 on you really fast, but these are some of the spiritual gifts that the Scripture talks about. And I want to encourage you to discover how God has made you. Paul said to the church in Corinth, I would not have you, brothers and sisters, I would not have you ignorant about your spiritual gifts. Now, let me say this lovingly. Based on what I read this week, um, one estimate is that about 87% of churchgoers today understand their spiritual gift. 87%, I'm sorry, do not, 87% do not understand their spiritual gift. So apparently, we're ignorant. So apparently, I'm going to point to, Fingers to me. I'm not doing my job. So today, for the first time, I'm doing my job. What's your gift? Find, find the gift or gifts that God has given you. Uh, I know about a high school student years ago. He, he, first time he ever seen the gift of tongues. He's like, what is that? Is that kissing? Because, you know, I might, I might have that gift. And I was quick to say, no, no, it's not. And you don't have that gift. Okay, so anyone in high school, I just want to speak for your parents. You do not have the gift of tongues related to kissing. But tongues is, I don't want to get deep into this, of course, today, but tongues is a private prayer language between you and God, but it also can be in certain situations where you're able to understand and speak a language. It's a very supernatural uh, ability. There's the interpretation of that. There's healing and miracles, and those uh, divide the church. And it's sad to me because gifts should unite the church, not divide us. So let's don't be ignorant about these gifts. Some of you have a gift of hospitality. Do you know that to lead a small group at Fondren, you can have the gift of teaching and it certainly helps, but you don't have to have the gift of teaching. You can have the gift of hospitality and it goes really well because you know how to open up the home. I don't have the gift of hospitality. Susan will ask me, did you help them to, to the, you know, to find something to eat and drink? I'm like, they know where the kitchen is. They can get it themselves. I don't have that gift. The gifts God has given me are a couple. Uh, one is teaching, and it's a gift that I uh, use often. It's a part of the job, whatever uh, moderate gifting that God has given me. But I use it often in teaching. One gift that I want to share with you briefly about in my life is the gift of faith. Uh, I discovered this when I was a young believer. I don't want to get too weird on you. The 930 didn't walk out on me, so I'm going to try, give it a try with you guys. But when I was a young believer in Christ, uh, my family prayed for my grandmother. 
the town of Columbus, Mississippi, which I haven't read, but I understand they got hit pretty heavy with a tornado last night, so we'll remember them. But they were about to be flooded. And many of the homes in these uh, various neighborhoods, and one of which, uh, one of these neighborhoods, my grandmother lived in. And we prayed as a family and as a church family for them not to be flooded. But every indicator was they were going to get flooded. The crest of the river, I mean, it's pretty scientific that this was going to happen or could happen to her uh, specific home. And so we prayed for that. And in the prayer, I just had this sense. It's very hard to describe, but I just prayed. I didn't really think anything of it. There was a lady in the church, a woman named Gwen. I remember this very well because it's one of the very first manifestations of God working in my life that I can really talk about. And Miss Gwen came up to me and she said, Robert, I'm with you, I believe. I'm like, what's she talking about? You know, and I studied a little bit on you know, clairvoyance and telepathic stuff. And I'm like, okay, this is like weird stuff happening in this church. I need, to, I need to rebuke this. It was just a simple statement that this woman, Glenn, gave to me, Gwen gave to me. And in that moment, I just had this sense of like, we're together on this. And we had prayed for something. And both of us just had a sense like there was no room for doubt or worry. I just knew it was going to happen. I didn't worry about anything. I just prayed and I had faith. And God worked in my grandmother's house, wasn't flooding. Now, hear me. I worry and I'm afraid and my worry and my fear at times grips me. I'll pray a prayer and I, you know, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your care on him. And I'm like, all right, Lord, I'm transferring my care on you. And I'll get up from my knees and I'll be carrying those cares out of the room. Like I am human and I am feeble and frail. And this gift of faith has been a, a very mysterious one for me. But there have been times in my life, she can tell you, where she or others are worried about something. And I sense, uh, not audibly, that God has given me this peace of things are going to work out. And I have knelt down and prayed the prayer and gotten up and haven't, hadn't had a, nary a care in the world. Just a sense. And there, there are gifts that God gives us. There are gifts that God gives you. Discover your gift. Find it. Find the gift that he's given you. I want to give you quickly three ways to find your gift. The first is to talk to someone who knows you well and ask them, which of these gifts do you think I have? Talk to someone that you know, someone that knows you really well, and ask them, which of these gifts do you think I have? Secondly, I want you to take an inventory. In fact, how great is this? Thanks to our staff team, whom I love. When you exit today, when you exit the sanctuary, you'll be given a resource where you can take a spiritual gifts inventory. Take that inventory. So talk to a friend. Ask him, which of these gifts do you think I have? Take an inventory. You'll be asked a battery of questions. Now, some of us lack self-awareness. So be as honest as you can. That's why I said talk to a friend and take the inventory. You need the friend or friends and the inventory. Some of you really lack self-awareness. Okay. Uh, but then the, also, I want to give you this third um, idea here beyond just taking the inventory and talking to the friend look be be patient be patient and look at your life max lucato puts it this way he says there's an intersection for your life where your success and your satisfaction meet your success is what you're good at your satisfaction is what you enjoy and there's a great likelihood that what you're good at and that what you enjoy somewhere in there is a spiritual gift or gifts that god has given you so find it, okay? Find it. What do we say secondly? Grow it. Paul said this in 1 Timothy, um, 2 Timothy 1, 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Keep that up there. Now, we don't have the next verse. Anybody know the next verse? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And I love that because when you start talking about gifting and God using you, then there's a lot of fear. Like, I, I experience fear. And so he says this, 
fan into flame the gift of God. The Greek language there implies this ideal, that we would give it oxygen. Give the gift or gifts that God has given you, give it oxygen. Steph Curry, one of the great NBA players today and of all time. I don't know if you know this, if anybody read on his life and his training regimen. Do you know how many three-pointers he shoots every day in the offseason? Not how many he shoots, but how many he makes. Every practice, alone in the gym with probably three or four guys on the payroll to rebound the basketballs, like he, he, he's committed each and every practice in the offseason to make 500 three-point shots. 500 balls have to go through the net, and that's part of his regimen. And I would say to you, to give your gift oxygen, to fan into the flames the way God has made you, what sacrifices are you making? If you find your gift, is it, has it flatlined? And if you're not give, using your gift, I would say to you, you're not growing spiritually. What Paul say? Grow up. Grow up. And the way that we grow up into maturity is to find that gift or gifts and then to grow those gifts. What sacrifices are you making? One of my gifts, as you know, you're attesting your testament to it now, is the gift of teaching. But most of that gift is behind the scenes in study. And a guy that mentored me rocked my world not long ago when he said this, a passion to preach without a discipline to study is a desire to perform. Now, this is me and maybe some of you, and I don't know if there's any young seminarians or anybody who desire uh, to be where I'm at. Uh, but what about you? This, this has convicted me before. There are some times I go and perform uh, to emcee something or go do something and kind of be fun and whatever. And that's a performance. But this is different. And if I just don't study and don't cultivate this gift, then it's a desire to perform and it becomes fleshly. And so help me. If you know me and you love me, help me. Help me to get better. Help me to do better. Help me to work hard at this. Let it be a labor of love. And it has to be because it's a lot of work. Could you imagine preaching? It's, a friend of mine says it's like defending your PhD dissertation in front of a, an educated audience every week. And so there's, there is pressure there. But I've got to remind myself that there's a spiritual calling to this and I need to do a lot of work behind the scenes before I ever walk out here and try to speak the oracles of God to the people of God. So what gift do you have? Find it and then grow it. Fan it into flames. Give it oxygen. And lastly, use it. Use the gift that you've been given. Profound, isn't it, today that I would say that? Use the gift that you've been given. Question. Somebody in the 930 got this correct. I was stunned. Who is the first person in all the Bible that it was said about them that they were filled with the Spirit of God? Anybody know? I'll give you a hint. It wasn't Adam. It wasn't Abraham. It wasn't Joseph or Jacob. It wasn't Noah or Job or David or Daniel. Anybody want to guess? The first person the Scripture tells us was filled with the Spirit of God. I see a guy Googling down front real quick. We're not, I'm not going to give you the time. Exodus 31. See, I have chosen. Say it with me, church. I have chosen. Yeah, we'll go with that. I've chosen Bezella. By the way, the guy who got it was a professor of visual arts at Belhaven. So you'll see why he got this. See, I've chosen Bezella, son of Ura, the son of Ur of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills 
to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. This guy was not a prophet, priest, or king. He wasn't a pastor, teacher. He wasn't an evangelist or an apostle. He was a skilled craftsman. He had an eye. He had hands. And God used that. And can I just say, look, we've designed the church in some ways for people to come and sit in rows and to kind of bask in one person's gift. And that's not the design of the church. The design for us is to gather here and for you to be equipped to go use your gift, to be filled with the Spirit of God so you can be a part of the mission of God in this world. And don't you think we're craving a world that needs the mission of God, people to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with Him. Find your gift and then use it. Interesting study out of UNC Chapel Hill. The, the most... Um, the most powerful moments in life are not in pleasure or leisure, but it's when you and I get caught up in a significant task. Can I say that again? The, the great moments of life, I'm going to say your life and my life, is not pleasure or leisure. It's when we get caught up, wrapped up in a significant task. And I would say to you, what's your task? What's God called you to? I, I want to I, I love you and tell you today, find it, grow it, fan it into flame and use that. Three things super, super fast that I want to tell you about. First is you are different. You're different. I've got three kids. I noticed one of my kids is, I call him a kaleidoscope. Everywhere he goes, he enjoys it. Everybody he meets, he likes them. Everywhere he, he visits, he wants to live there. He's just inspired by everything. He's a joy. He just gets joy out of things and he brings joy. He's inspired and he inspires other people. He's a kaleidoscope. But do you know that kaleidoscopes need telescopes? Someone to see the long view of life. And you know what they need also? They need a microscope. Someone to remind them of the critical details of life. God knows I need that. I got a lot of kaleidoscope in me, right? A lot of colors and angles and variations. And I need a telescope to remind me the big picture. And I need a microscope to tell me about the critical details. And you know, we're that way. In my own home, I see how different my own three kids are. And look, we're God's children, and we're very different. And just breathe that in. That's okay. Ephesians 2.10, we read it a couple of weeks ago, for we are God's workmanship. We're His workmanship. You know what that means? It means you're His masterpiece. You know what it doesn't mean? It doesn't mean you are His appliance. Do you know that appliances are mass-produced? But workmanship, masterpieces, are handcrafted. And God has made you. He has handcrafted you. Parents, are you with me? You know it with your kids, right? And you want them to discover who they are. You want them to get a core competency so they can go and be gainfully employed and get off your payroll and take care of you when you're old. That's my prayer. I have three kids. One of them's got to marry somebody that's rich one day and they can take care of me. But you do want your kids to develop something. And God, your father, wants you to find what you're good at. And he wants you to employ that, whether that is your vocation or it's just a calling that you use in ministry to other people to build up the church. But you are different. Don't get a big head, but Scripture, Ephesians tells you that you're his masterpiece. And listen, what would grow a cactus would starve an orchid. What would feed a mouse would starve an elephant. All need air, water, food, and light, but to different degrees and uh, conditions. And do you understand what I'm saying? And so we tend to think that spiritual growth is one way. Can I tell you, it's not. Some of you, you're going to grow spiritually in ways I'm not able to in various means. And we try to package it and make it all the same, and it's not that way. 
where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I'm telling you to be who you are and discover how God has made you. And parents, if we're worth our salt, that's how we'll parent our kids. That's how the Father parents His children. So you are different, but look, everybody matters. Everybody matters. Every gift matters. It's easy for us to compare gifts or want another person's gift. You ever been there where you have gift envy and you want to be that person? But use the gift. If it's wisdom or knowledge or discernment, hospitality, helps, mercy, administration, service, prophecy, that is being able to foretell the future, but it's really speaking truth to power. We need some prophets in our world today. The church needs to raise up prophets to speak truth to power. What is your gift? Find it, grow it, and use it. As our team comes, I'm going to pray over us. Would you stand with me? Just in this moment, would you bow and try to disregard who you're next to and what you're going to eat in about 20 to 30 minutes? Would you ask God to open you to receive from Him? I just wonder for you, what action items, what, what, what can this look like in your life? So I have a prayer for our church. I forgot to tell this to the 930, but my prayer for our church is not that we would be a bunch of people assembled in rows who gather here, who sit back with arms folded and observe or critique one person's gift, but that we would be a people empowered, that we would learn to discover how God has made us. And I pray that that would be strengthened because that's the way that we're built up. Isn't that a great ideal that we would be mature? Like if you're a baby, if you have a baby, it's kind of cool to give them a bib and put them down for a nap because they're a baby. But if you're an adult, you and I, we need to be maturing. We need to be growing. And the way we grow is to speak the truth and love to each other. Discover these gifts and walk in Him. God, thank You for this opportunity as we close to sing these song, this song to take bread that represents your body and to dip it into juice that represents your blood. And to say, thank you. We remember the sacrifice that you've made for us. And you call us to walk in a manner worthy of this calling, to build each other up in love, to follow hard after the truth. And God, thank you that the truth in this moment is that we have a Savior. And we have a Savior who lived and died for us, whose power of the resurrection also lives in us. God, receive our worship in Jesus. Amen. If you're a guest, we want to invite you to come to the table. There are stations around the room, front and balcony. And just follow the person in front of you. If you've been here, you kind of know what to do. But um, we'll worship now um, as we remember what Christ has done for us.